0: It's Deep Focus, I'm your host, Mitch Goldman, and this is part two of three parts from Monday, June 20th, 2016, Brian Charette, my guest on the topic of Keith Emerson of Emerson Lake and Palmer.
1: Is he crying? no money could save him, so he laid down and he died, Ooh. What a lucky man he was. Ooh, what a lucky man he was. There you go. Was lucky, mate. <laughs> We're going to give you pictures of an exhibition. your dreams, childhood themes of nights alone. Wipe away endless years, childhood tears as dry as stone. From seeds of confusion, illusions, dark blossoms have grown. Even now in furrows of sorrow The doubt still is sown My life's course is guided Decided by limits drawn On charts of my past ways and pathways since I was born. tulip head ginger blood of stone horse and hustle. pick the bone
0: Oh, man. All right. You are listening to WKCR, Um, Mitch Goldman. Deep Focus is the show, and it is none other than Brian Charette, who has cast our Deep Focus onto the music of that band. Wow. Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Mm -hmm. Wow. Let's all do this. So everybody breathe in together and do a collective. Long ago, the ancient (laughs)
2: Druids. (laughs) Like, they were all the way there on that one.
0: Okay. Now. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Yep, up are cheesy? I'm We're gonna, gonna come right out and say it. Sometimes. <laughs> okay. Point counterpoint. Uh huh. I will allow you to take the they are a bunch of cheese balls" uh-huh. point of view. I'm going the other way with this uh-huh. because um, it's 1978. Yeah. We're in Nassau Coliseum, mm-hmm. and in that context of. The expectations of this audience and the participation. Sure,
2: they must have been whipped into a frenzy.
0: They literally were. In fact, that thing, that moment that happened a minute before that, mm-hmm. the. Um, it's like the sample and hold Moog. There was. Now, <laughs> if you're just tuning in, uh, Brian Charette here in the studio with me, Mitch Goldman. And coincidentally, I was at this show, I was at this concert in well, 1978. Lucky. Oh, what a lucky man. Oh, what a man. lucky man he was. You beat me to the punch. <laughs> but uh, the thing I was going to say, if you're, if you're engaged with this music and you heard that part where this uh, keyboard uh, little mm-hmm. loop happens, the yeah. sonic loop, that sample and hold moment, mm-hmm. there was this huge theatrical stage effect of this buildup of the lights mm-hmm. and it ended with this like explosion. <laughs> and you know it didn't take much then <laughs> to really like get 20,000 people on their feet and mm-hmm. it's it's really quite stunning that um well that was a that was a vocal piece that wasn't strictly mm-hmm. an instrumental but mm-hmm. um people were impassioned by this yeah. and listening to it now 40 years later with our super sophistication knowing so many things that we know and listening, maybe you're by yourself in you know, a car, or in your room, or wherever you are. You got headphones on. It sounds completely overwrought and ridiculous, and Spinal tapish ish, mm-hmm. and uh, you know everything that every two-minute pop band yeah
2: is shying away from.
0: Yeah, you know, like came to think of like, oh my god, really? Mm-hmm. Like you know, I mean, they remember bands making fun of these like mm-hmm. endings that never end. And uh, there's even the vocal of Greg Lake saying, there is no end. Well,
2: we were talking and listening to it, too, is that these kind of sections with the big inverted chords and majestic, it's very English folk music. It's very in the tradition of what these, um, what's that one folk? They do some very famous folk. uh, Jerusalem is is an English folk hymn, isn't it?
0: I or don't some know kind of,
2: it's some kind of thing from the church yeah I think it's called Jerusalem I'm not exactly sure if that's where it comes from but it's this like English folk melodies that is influencing a lot of this music
0: there's stuff I know. mean uh, there's things I recognize from church music from madrigals from mm-hmm. that like sure you know middle English kind yes, of yes of course lutes and father
2: and, and, that, and
0: coming out transmuted through this uh, big, crazy arena rock band.
2: So I think that's why sometimes these English bands have a little bit, like, sometimes that can get a little too much for people, I think, (laughs) that kind of majestic, you know, doom, doom, doom,
0: doom. Now, do you make fun of it because it's funny to you, or do you make fun of it because you're a little... Embarrassed about taking people through this I
2: really like it myself. Okay. And I am not afraid of cheesy things. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now I gotta take that back. So
0: Brian, if you don't know, Brian Charette is one of one of the guys in New York on the music scene, even though you spend a lot of time. Well, you know, my
2: critics though will say that I have some of this sometimes and it's too much for them.
0: You wear as a badge of honor. But now, that is the question I want to ask you. Uh, Brian is playing Friday night at Club Bonafide on East 52nd Street here Mm -hmm. in Money Mad Manhattan. Mm -hmm. But uh, something you said earlier, and you just sort of repeated that, um, I made the comment that this should not give people the wrong idea that they're going to come to the Club Bonafide and hear you do
2: that. They're going to hear a little of that in there. Okay, now that's my question. It's a little bit in there. So when I play music, I hear, you know, and I really know someone really gets my music when they come up to me at the end of a gig and they'll say, you're into Keith Emerson, aren't you? And that happens, not a lot. But, you know, I obviously will not have anything on fire on stage, (laughs) much to my chagrin. (laughs) It was, it was cool. <laughs> it was really cool. Believe me, I'd have burning stuff if I had a budget. <laughs> the organ with the knife, I yeah. could do that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, what I take away from this music, especially from, from Keith's approach to these, um, all of these instruments at the same time, you know, he has such independence in his right and left hand. And we're kind of into the same stuff. Like, I'm into the same stuff that he was into, even though it is 40 years later. Um, I'm into Jack McDuff, too. I'm playing the Hammond organ. Um, I experiment with uh, synthesizers, too. Like So his approach to these things was so um, groundbreaking that you can't help to be a keyboard artist, to me, playing any kind of music and not take something away Um from his performance also you know when i play jazz music i you know not that i don't play cerebral jazz music because i do some of the pieces are in complicated time signatures and stuff but i'm trying always to harness a little bit of this rock band stuff um in my jazz playing So he's a very obvious bridge to me Mm -hmm. um, between all of these genres of music. That's why I'm so interested in him uh, and his approach. Um, Well, you know, it's funny, too. um,
0: Keyboards were a big part of music at that time, Mm -hmm. but there were very few bands that were not guitar-focused. Sure. And this band stood apart. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what else there is to say about that.
2: <laughs> it's true. And if you're a keyboardist, you know, playing some sort of lead role, um, whether as a composer or a soloist, um, these were. this was like one of the first guys to step out um, in a rock band setting and and have the focus be on the keyboards, you know, with Yes and with John Lord from Deep Purple. You know, this was an amazing time, Uh for especially Hammond organ in rock music. Yeah. You know, to watch how this instrument came from being basically a substitute of a pipe organ in 1935. And I believe we we did a show where we talked about Ethel Smith, right? We did. Very we early did. Hammond organ. You know, this instrument in basically 40 years or 60 years makes this incredible uh, transition to all of these genres of music. You know, it starts out with Ethel and her Chantilly Lace and in 1978, Keith Emerson's stabbing it with a bowie knife. Yeah. You know, so it's...
0: Well, and uh, you mentioned, yes, Rick Wickman was probably, you know, he had cultivated this sort of uh, mm-hmm. wizardish kind of uh They're, very,
2: they're very similar. Um, it's interesting to look at them both because I would have to say, uh, technically, Keith Emerson is superior Um, That's not to say I don't like some things about Rick Wakeman's approach sometimes better um, than Keith Emerson. He there was something about
0: Rick Wakeman that seemed very knowing at that time. He had well, he was
2: was a big he was I think a big session dude at that time. Like they were playing. um, Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's on. uh, Did stuff with Bowie. They actually asked Keith Emerson to be in Yes. I think before. uh, So Keith Emerson was and I can't remember exactly the story but it might have been 71 or 2 um maybe 1970 so they asked Keith Emerson he was already playing maybe he was still in the Nice then I'm not sure but they asked him to be and yes and he turned it down
0: I never knew that yeah and um and you, this is, I want to talk a little bit about this new record that you've got coming out mm-hmm. on the Positone label. It's called, or it's actually is out.
2: Yep, once June 3rd and, was the release date.
0: The album's called Once and Future under the name of Brian Charette, which you can find at briancharette.com, mm-hmm. C-H-A-R-E-T-T-E. And um, you actually, well, maybe you could talk a little bit about, uh, this is an interesting focus to this album.
2: On this album, you know, my last few records have been very experimental. I use some electronics. Um, This album has no electronics. It's all organ trio. And we're playing, for the most part, um, tunes popularized by blue note organists. Um, At some points, we're covering obscure organ artists like Freddie Roach. And these guys would play sometimes in very different vibrato settings on the organ or drawbar settings and we're and i try to use these settings for each one of the songs um and sometimes i'll play a song with a freddie roach sound but like work in some more modern modern vocabulary from some of my contemporaries you know so i'm kind of like on this album it's investigating all of these sounds um through the lens of these old blue note pieces from these organists
0: And there's actually a piece that, in your mind at least, references Keith Emerson. Yes.
2: So I'm playing Hot Barbecue um, from Jack McDuff, and we already spoke about how Keith Emerson is very influenced uh, by Jack McDuff. So I have a little section in this tune where I have a very distorted kind of Keith Emerson kind of sound on the organ, and I'm playing a lot of his vocabulary, I think. Uh, um, It's kind of... Straight ripoffs of his lick sometimes, <laughs> to be honest.
0: Um, there, you know, listening to this music, I have to tell you, it sounds so different to me mm-hmm. than uh, I remember it sounding then. I mean, it's the same music, but...
2: There's so much going on.
0: There is so much going it's on. It's very complicated.
2: Yeah. And I don't my, know how they memorized all of it. I mean, they had to memorize all of this, you know. It's unbelievable. And especially...
0: I mean, all three of them, really, but especially Keith Emerson. Mm-hmm. He He's clearly the leader, and sure. the stuff he's doing is so much more complicated, I mm-hmm. think, than what they're doing. I mean, I'm, I'm not taking what they're mm-hmm. doing lightly, but um, he also sounds like he's really
2: having fun. Yeah, I think, I mean, this was the height of his popularity. I mean, he must have been in heaven, and it must have been hard for him later in life after i mean what do you do after you play you know coliseums uh yeah you know i think it's i think it's tough for these guys i think maybe that's one of the reasons why he was he was uh you know not feeling so great at the end of his life was yeah. he, he didn't he just didn't have this outlet for his incredible um gift you know? well
0: also the story that you probably know better than i do about Uh, the limitations that came
2: right he developed very uh you're talking about his hand problems so he had some kind of nerve problems and tendinitis uh and he could barely play and i think this was what led him to 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 be very depressed at the end of his life you know Um, we were talking in the break like the last time i saw him i was in venice in in uh, california southern california he was holding his tooth. He needed to go to the dentist. And here's this guy that used to be in a stadium full of people, like, sitting alone at a restaurant, like, holding his sore tooth. You know, I felt I felt really bad for him, you know. And he was a very, very nice man. Um, whoever, uh, I mean, I didn't know him really well, but the time that I did spend with him, he seemed very accessible, would, would talk to people, very soft-spoken, a gentleman, you know.
0: Any particular stories come to mind?
2: Anything uh, a moment? The biggest moment was when I met him. Um, we, for the last few years, I have been playing Hammond keyboards and I work a lot with the, um, with the reps Scott May and Greg Granowski here who have become very good friends of mine. We also play concerts together um, and this might have been four years ago and we were at the NAMM show in Los Angeles. Every year they have a trade show Um, I was in the Hammond booth. Um, I was playing the concert that night. Keith was also playing a bunch of people. The gentleman from the Rascals was there, Felix Cavallari. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had a lot of great organ players uh, that were there, and we were all together for this concert that they put in in the Marriott, I think, was the hotel there. So we're in—there's a mixer before where they have, like, wine and cheese and stuff, and I'm reaching for a piece of brie cheese, and there's another guy reaching for cheese, and I look up, and it was Keith Emerson. <laughs> and I'm not really a starstruck person, but I was pretty taken aback by that. I didn't know he was going to be there. Oh, my God, I'm such a big fan. Can I take my picture with, you know, every, everything. <laughs> every everything cliche. To 10, you know. <laughs> yeah, good, um, good, good. And then we played the concert that night, you know, um, and it was, it was a very, it was very big for me to to know him. You know, he was really, I put him, you know, it's kind of for me, it was him, Rick Wakeman and Chester Thompson of Tower of Power were my biggest early keyboard influences. So, you know, it was very big for me to meet him and yeah. to know him.
0: Well, he was, uh, one thing that may or may not come across listening to this live recording, he was a great showman. Yeah. He definitely had a strong sense of the visual, mm-hmm. and I think he knew that, you know, playing a keyboard doesn't really, isn't so great for striking rock star poses. Right. He know? was
2: not, you know, he was not, like, sitting, like, in a tuxedo playing. No. You know? Like, he's kicking his organ over, stabbing it with a knife, like, going pretty crazy.
0: And he's got a couple of like big walls of keyboard gear around him. yeah Some of which for all I know was just pure, you know, theatrical <laughs> environment. I think he was using everything.
2: I watched <laughs> yeah. th- they had this really complicated amplification uh rig for the organ. I think the organ was going into four, maybe they had three or four Leslies. They also had Marshall like high watt kind of amplifiers. Um I think it was pretty involved. Like they had a big budget too for their tour. Um all these keyboards. Yet he, he had two organs. He had. Uh, we were listening. They had two pianos. One that was specially detuned for like the ragtime kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, these are like nobody had keyboard. Even I don't even think Rick Wakeman had uh, a rig as big as that. You know.
0: <laughs> no, he didn't. I yeah. saw. I saw him too back then. Mm-hmm. I saw yes, probably yeah. the same year. Uh-huh. And uh, no, I'd say uh, Keith Emerson's was bigger, yep. as I recall. Then, <laughs> uh, in that so important way. Um, You're listening to WKCR. The show is Deep Focus, and man, we got it tonight (laughs) on Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. And uh, the funny, yeah, I'm I'm actually remembering, I have not, I deliberately, usually, I do a lot of prep work, and I listen to all the music before Mm -hmm. the show and everything, and I deliberately did not do that this time because- Because you were there. I was at the show, and yes, things are- coming back to mind that I haven't revisited <laughs> in almost 40 years. Wow. And uh, th- if you've been listening, we're going to go back to the music in a bit. But um, that last piece ended with a pretty heavy-duty crescendo and yeah. a long ending. And at the end of it, they seem to have edited it out. Mm-hmm. Because I remember, I think it was Keith Emerson going, I, I said this to you, he goes, did you like it? And the crowd just <laughs> went crazy. You know, there's 20,000 people uh-huh. in this hockey arena. And they ended with this huge sensational thing. And everybody screamed their heads off. He goes, mm-hmm. did you like it? Mm-hmm. And everybody went, yeah, and screamed. He goes, did you really, 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 really like it? And then, and everybody screamed again. He goes, I thought it was rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very. The dry English. Yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, it's sort of you assume that whole in the context of spinal tap we were talking about which it's hard not to think of at times with this that uh you think all those other things go along with it but um I guess what I'm trying to say is there's there is even if it wasn't common among all the audience certainly for them there's this consciousness of what they're doing and awareness and I'm hearing all of the You know, like you're talking about the instruments and everything. He didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. He wanted to do that. He wanted to see how far he could push this. He wanted to see how far he could push himself. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that is the same impulse that uh, drives a a Bud Powell or whoever it is. It's just, you know. Every great artist. Yeah. I'm going to go down this road. I'm going to man i'm finding mm-hmm. all these
2: things i'm going to i got to go plus to find yourself with the means to to actualize it is is incredible you know and that's where the
0: flip side of the coin again that's where the negative comes from of the overindulgence mm-hmm. and the you know mm-hmm. well yeah why not have every keyboard ever and mm-hmm. do all that stuff but yeah i think uh clearly there's a drive and
2: imagination. That's why I like Brain Salad Surgery so much, because I think that album especially had these al- elements most balanced in all of the Emerson, Lake, and Palmer uh, studio records.
0: Well, let us say, sadly, the touring days of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer are no more. Yeah. But uh, the music, there's a bunch of great studio albums. Mm-hmm. This is... A, an unusual case. Usually we go to the WKCR archives and find unreleased recordings, which this was Mm -hmm. an unreleased recording, but in recent years, the show we're playing tonight was released. It's commercially available, Mm -hmm. so you can find that and all the great albums that they made. Live albums, studio albums. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're digging Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, you have a world of discovery before (laughs) you. And uh, you're really in for a treat. So yeah, go explore Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. And... um, so we're going to go back into—it sort of comes across as a second set. It's the second disc, but I don't think—I think it was one continuous set, and I don't remember there being an opening act. I remember well, this it.
2: this part is interesting, too, because they all kind of break down as solo artists and do kind of their own—like, they're doing songs that are not ELP songs now in this uh, next little bit. Yeah. yeah. Anything
0: in particular
2: you want to say about that, or should we just— no, I think we should just so play it. It was interesting for me to listen to because I have never heard a lot of these. I mean, you get to hear them speaking a little bit, which you don't get to really hear too much. Um, yeah, let's just play it. I think it's a very different side of them. It was certainly one that I had not heard before. You are
0: listening to WKCR-FM New York and WKCR-HD1. I'm Mitch Goldman. We call the show Deep Focus Brian Charette, who is performing Friday night at Club Bonafide on East 52nd Street, is my guest tonight, and our deep focus is on Keith Emerson of Emerson Lake and Palmer. We're going in, man. (laughs) We're going in. Get ready. Here we go. Hold on. Wait. No. Oh, I got it. Oh, I got it. Here we go. Get ready. You ready? (laughs) I'm ready. I'm not ready. Okay, now I'm ready. go. Hmm.
1: Up to oh, wonder why. of fun that was! on <laughs> the spotlight. I'm gonna take things down a bit and uh, move over to Greg again. Hey, what's up? You got problems? Sounds great. His next song is a lullaby that I wrote for my two-year-old little daughter, Natasha. Is there? This one's called Watching Over You. (laughs) Good night. Good night. Look at that moon shine so bright. And tonight he smiles, especially for you. Sleep tight, sleep tight. For you know everything is alright. For tonight I will be here. Watching over you For tonight I will be there Watching over you Tonight I'll be there Watching over you As real as it seems And in the morning when you wake up I will be right here Sleep on Sleep on For no matter how dark or how long It may seem that your night is I will still be here I will still be here watching, watching over you So sleep, little darling, sleep on through Be still, for you know that I always will. Tonight and forever be watching over you. For tonight and forever be watching over you. So sleep. Little darling, sleep on the through, I will be watching over you. Now, somebody that really needs no introduction, so we're not gonna give him one. This is uh, we're gonna do a colour number colour numbers. One's called Tank and the other one's written by a guy called Joe coffee and it's called the Enemy God. Go! <laughs>
0: That is part two of three parts of this Deep Focus from June 20th, Monday, June 20th, 2016. Brian Charette in the studio with me on the topic of Keith Emerson. Check out Brian. He is, I swear, every time I turn around, he's got a new album out or he's touring all over the world, even during COVID. And uh, I couldn't recommend him more highly if he's playing piano or... Organ or whatever else you might find him doing, and you'll be richly rewarded. I don't know if you're going to find this particular recording of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, but yeah, they've got a bunch of albums out you can still find. Um, this was 1978, you can find some stuff from around then or earlier. Actually, a lot of this material is coming from their earlier albums back to the early 70s, and um, I'm just um, I'm I say it in the show and I'm having this experience again preparing this for Deep Focus. I'm hearing this band that I spent a fair amount of time listening to in a whole new way. And I've great thanks to Brian for sharing it with me in this way. And uh, I had some comments from listeners saying, you call this jazz? "Uh, No, I don't call this jazz. I, I never said that the music we play on Deep Focus is jazz. What I said, what the show is, is listening to music with accomplished jazz musicians, and hearing with their ears, and appreciating the things that they appreciate, which is really interesting to me. It always has been, and sometimes it's very different from, I mean, I'm a pretty serious listener, but I'm not a musician. I'm not, I don't hear something staggeringly complicated and go I have to figure out how to play that I can just experience it and enjoy it so we're listening in different ways and there certainly there are levels I'm not going to get to the way the, some of the guests are hearing that uh, I'm not a trained musician so I'm not hearing all the things they're hearing but I love tapping into their enthusiasm for the music And it doesn't really... This is my point. um, It's not that I'm a diehard nut advocate for jazz. What excites me about this and the thing that drives me to do Deep Focus is the experience of listening to music on this level and engaging in this very active conversation and, and getting this kind of uh, mental emotional spiritual nourishment from this music that's uh, that's what pulls me along and doesn't have to be from somebody who's a Charlie Parker or Louis Armstrong disciple to do that but the skills that these musicians have developed as listeners and they were all listeners before they were ever players is captivating to me that's what i'm trying to share all right enough with the little (laughs) um but if you like it uh you should subscribe you can find us on your probably on your favorite podcasting app and you can always get to us on the home site for um the our hosting site for the podcast is mitchgoldman.podbean.com You can find some more information if you want to look at my website, mitchgoldman.com. And you can also um, follow us on Instagram. I've told you that, Deep Focus Podcast. Um, Yeah, take a look. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying it, please do like us up on the podcasting Up app. And the millions, maybe billions of people who don't know about Deep Focus might find it because you clicked that you liked it. That's just kind of how this stuff works. All right, I'll see you over at part three. It's June 20th, 2016, Brian Charette on Keith Emerson.